It's so good to see each and every individual assembled this beautiful Lord's Day morning as we've come together today to offer worship to the great God of heaven. To do so, of course, in truth and in spirit, it's our desire and our earnest hope that as we do that, He shall find it acceptable. And in fact, it will be that which would redound to all of our blessings as well. As I stand before you today in that regard, I know that Gary's already mentioned many of the tremendous events of the day yesterday. And may I say, as we are able to assemble as a family in ways like that, doesn't it make an assembly like this one all the more rich and all the more wonderful? Today is that particular Sunday of the year 2016 set aside as Easter Sunday, if you please. It's a day on which the world will cast at least a brief spotlight upon some of those considerations concerning our Master, His death and then, of course, His resurrection on that Sunday morning. You and I, of course, as members of the body of Christ, take great joy and, in fact, great excitement out of being able to turn to those thoughts frequently, not just on a day or perhaps even a couple of Sundays a year. And so, as we surround the Lord's table, we celebrate His death every Sunday. And yet, we're told in Romans 1 verse 4 that by the great power of God, He was raised from the dead. And that's the final proof of His divinity. Aren't you thankful we serve a risen Savior? Aren't you thankful that in fact He currently reigns at the right hand of the Father and does so over His kingdom of which we're blessed to be a part? We continue our series of lessons today thinking about many of the teachings of our Master. We've been studying the family for quite some time. We've done so and all the while that has brought before us some considerations of responsibilities to each of us. In fact, on this next slide you'll notice these brief rehearsals. We've seen, haven't we, that first of all, the family, if it's to be pleasing, it should be orchestrated as God has identified it. Following that, we looked at the male arrangement in the, in the family. What has God said to fathers, to husbands, to men? Following that, we looked at what He has said to ladies, to mothers, to women. Following that, we cast a spotlight on the biblical teaching of marriage highlighting the sweetness and perfection of it, how honorable it is. That brought us to lesson number five on children. As we looked at those, we appreciated what a great blessing children really are. Not only that, God has told children some especially wonderful commands like obey your parents. Today, we come to another member of the family, one that we're blessed with in many cases, each of us so often consider and think about the respect that we have for grandparents. Would you study then today with me some of the teaching of the Word of God as it touches that very interesting and intriguing subject? You'll notice at the bottom of that slide. I suppose it's fair to say that in families there may well be many individuals that can have a profound influence Think about those who've impacted your life. So maybe an uncle, an aunt, a cousin, maybe a great uncle. At least in the main, I would submit probably for many of us and for many of those that we know, grandparents occupy a very special role. Let's study about grandparents today. I wonder how much the Bible has to say about them. I know many of you in the audience are grandparents. Many others, if time blesses a soul, will one day perhaps be. May I say that all the while the Bible discusses it, it sets before us in this regard things that I'm convinced can be very helpful to any of us. 
what does the Bible say about grandparents? May I submit several things, and let's begin like this. First of all, consider with me the consideration of a grandchild in the eyes of the grandparents. And I've tried to highlight that beneath this, this entitlement of a blessing. I believe the Bible will bear that out. Look at some of these verses with me, if you would. In the 128th Psalm, you might want to be turning to that location, for the psalm is a reasonably brief one, but in the six verses you find in that particular chapter, may I ask you to notice the first and the last. The first verse sets before us the fact that this particular psalm is one that has thought to those who will be happy. Let me ask a question if I might. Does everybody want to be happy? We live in an age, in a world where there's so much consideration relative to I want to be happy. Does it God want me to be happy? Bookstore shelves groan beneath the weight of self-help books designed to enhance and encourage and increase the happiness that a given individual may feel despite the circumstances of life. And yet the Word of God has these words to say, if you want to be happy, here's God's guarantee of it. Beginning in verse number 1 of the 128th Psalm. Blessed is every one that feareth the Lord, that walketh in His ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Question, if you want to be happy, it starts with a healthy fear of God and an obedience to what He says. That's what the Word of God says here. Happy shalt thou be. May I submit to you that as you and I develop in our mind the consideration of that happiness, jump a few verses forward. One of the elements that may well then be a part of that is this. Verse 6. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. Now children's children are grandchildren. And here in those days of the Old Testament, it was asserted that for those who in fact would give their lives in devotion to the Lord and enjoy the happiness and the prosperity that God makes available, one of the elements of that happiness will be you'll be able to appreciate your grandchildren. You'll be able to watch them grow and to understand and be a part of their lives. Isn't that a great thing to see the gleam in a grandfather or grandmother's eye when they have the opportunity to cherish and to hold those grandchildren? And yet, that's a part, it seems, of what the psalmist of the long ago stated. I would invite you to notice it from yet another perspective. In Proverbs 17, verse number 6, in the heart of those writings that Solomon has developed and given to us, you notice there that one more time, children's children are the glory of old men. There are times, I suppose, that movies and otherwise present a, an older man as a somewhat stoic, unfriendly somewhat like a gentleman that isn't very happy, but you let him hold his granddaughter. You let him hold one of his grandsons, and you find a smile will come across his face, and that man will appreciate that the glory of his life are those of his children's children. Now, I say that because that's the wording that the Word of God uses. How precious, how prized, and how treasured are those grandchildren. Maybe it is in light of that you'll notice... Many Bible examples might have been listed, but could I invite your attention toward Naomi? 
you remember with me that the circumstances of her life were relatively bleak in many ways. She lost her husband. She lost her two boys. All three of the men of her life died. She, in fact, was in a far distant place when all of that happened, according to the book of Ruth. But then, when circumstances had made that dramatic turn for the worse for her, she made the decision to go back to her homeland. And ultimately, we remember that Ruth, her daughter-in-law, married a man named Boaz, and to them a child was born. Sometime read the closing few verses of Ruth chapter 4. And look at how Naomi is described. That little grandchild whose name was Obed, it says, will be a nourisher of thy health. Nourisher of thy health. Isn't that a beautiful statement? That's what a grandchild can sometimes do, isn't it? May I say then to those youngsters in the audience, appreciate your grandparents. Love them. They enjoy being with you. Honor them. In fact, some of those things will be a part of our later lessons of the morning. But even as much as that's described, look at the next part if you would. That consideration, that attribute, that trait of wisdom. If you think about that with me, I suppose that as we give thought to the Bible's description of those that are older, one of the first considerations that comes to mind is that very matter. The matter of their wisdom. Let us see how the Bible develops that. As often as that particular matter is mentioned, may I suggest to you that the Word of God presents those that are older as having the capacity and the capability to appreciate the course of action. Let's set that out like this. Isn't it true that those that are younger, though they may have heard others talk about it and though they may have had the opportunity to read about matters in a book, they haven't experienced it themselves and in that sense, perhaps has not left as nearly an indelible a mark in their mind. But to that older gentleman or that older lady, who not only has read about it or given thought to it, they have experienced it. And they have seen what a particular set of actions will inevitably lead to. That's what you call wisdom. It's a slightly different than just knowledge. And those that are older supposedly have this. In Exodus 34, verse number 7, we find the description there of those that are older and the course of action that they saw right and suited to what others ought to do, those that were younger. In fairness to that, we perhaps should immediately add this comment. Age by itself doesn't necessarily correlate to wisdom. Job 32.9 tells us that. Just because a person is older doesn't mean that person is wise. He or she may live foolishly. He or she may live disobediently. He or she may live in open rebellion to the God of heaven. But the point is, they by that point in life ought to have, by appreciation of observation, the ability to choose more wisely than that. As Christians, you and I know well how often the Bible encourages us to be wise. Proverbs 4 verse 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, with all thy getting, get wisdom. That's one of the things that's so important about an elder. Elders are supposed, again, not to be novices. They are supposed to be men who, by virtue of their experience, have witnessed how a course of action will end up. 
and therefore they know we cannot let that happen. Grandparents should be wise. Maybe that wisdom is seen in ways like these. You'll notice on this next slide with me. In Job 12, verses 12 and 13, we notice that that aged man Job spoke, didn't he, about the encouragement of wisdom. How that that should be characteristic of those who have the measure of years in them. To those in the audience that are grandparents, may you always live with wisdom. Because may I say that your grandchildren, among others, are watching you. They are paying careful attention to the choices, the decisions, the language, the actions of your life, and it will leave an indelible mark on them. I have had the opportunity to preach a number of funerals. Many a time as a grandchild is there at the, at the casket of his or her grandmother or grandfather, they will express remembrances. How do you want your grandchildren to remember you? as a man or woman of faith, as a man or woman who was convinced and convicted of the truth of the Word of God, or as one who had given his or her life to things more foolish, things more temporary, things less lasting, things that are far more questionable. Something to think about, isn't it? Maybe one last thing. What about examples in the Word of God touching this attitude and attribute of wisdom? We each remember, I'm sure, that Moses' father-in-law offered him some wisdom, some advice, some counsel, and Moses appreciated the wisdom of it and followed it in Exodus 18. Not only that, what about that scene in 1 Kings 12? Maybe many a lesson could be developed surrounding the foolishness and on the other hand, the wisdom of that chapter. You may remember Rehoboam. He chose to ask the older men, what do you think I need to do? And they gave him some well-seasoned advice based on experience, and he chose promptly to ignore it. Then he turned around and asked those that were his contemporaries, the young men like he was, what do you think I need to do? They told him just the opposite of what the older men said, and he said, I like that advice. He chose to follow it. The people hated him. The kingdom was split, and what a tragedy it was. Questioned whose advice was the sound advice? It was the older man. May each of us appreciate the wisdom that ought to, ought to lie and rest in that which comes with years. What about part number three? We've looked so far at the blessing of grandchildren and grandparents. We've seen the matter of wisdom. I'd like to ask you clearly about faith. One of the things the Bible does encourage us to appreciate so easily, not just in grandparents, but in everyone. But why don't we think about it from the perspective of grandparents? The attribute and idea of faith. Those who are older ought to have a seasoned faith. A faith who has understood the nature of challenges, difficulties, and who have emerged victorious therefrom and who are able to bequeath that to others, including not only their children, but their grandchildren. Hebrews 11.1 1 says it like this, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. A child is very impressionable. And when he sees in granddad 
and unwavering, uncompromising dedication to things the granddad has never seen, that little boy will also grow up with amazement to understand the same thing. And he'll ask, Granddad, why do you do it that way? Is another way satisfactory? And then Granddad can very lovingly but very carefully say, Son, this is why we do it that way. How many times does a grandson or a granddaughter look with such excitement to visiting granddad or grandmother's house? Surely in light of that, we will recall 2 Peter 3.18 implies to each of us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Given that one who is older has had more years to grow, their faith should be so strong and so dedicated. The example of Timothy as you look at some of the features here, may I ask you to recollect some of the attributes of Paul's description of Timothy and his family. First of all, we know very well, Timothy's mother was a lady named Eunice. His grandmother, a woman named Lois. 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. And yet later in that same book we read in 2 Timothy 3.15, that Timothy had known the Holy Scripture since he was a baby. What about faith? To grow up in a household of faith, to appreciate the importance and the significance of it, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. A grandchild is, a, is it a very blessed position when he has a grandparent. Grandparents that rightly divide the sacred text. As you think about the attribute of faith and its impressiveness in this, look at this Old Testament example. What about Hezekiah? One of the kings of ancient Judah. But have you ever thought about the nature of who his granddad was and who his father was? Hezekiah's father was a man named Ahaz. His grandfather, a man named Jotham. And I've placed a little interesting tidbit in parentheses. You'll notice that as you look at them, his father was a very evil man. But the text of the Old Testament is far more favorable to his grandfather. Jotham is described as good. Here's an instance where there was a grandson who followed more in the ways of his grandfather than he did the ways of his father. And that was a good thing because his father was an evil man. Wicked, motivated by things that were rebellious to God. May I say that as we think about the development of a family, things like that would be impressive. As sad as it is to think about the father, how good it is of the influence of the grandfather. When you and I think about faith, come to the bottom with me. In grandparents, we find something else. We find that remarkable attribute of hope. Look at some of the ways the Bible describes those to us. In Romans 13, 11, we have the power and the majesty of hope. And in an older person, you would anticipate that hope should be more sharpened. It should be far keener to the mind. We all know it well, don't we, when we're younger. There are so many decisions and activities and movements through life things at the workplace and things in a growing family and things in the community. And we're so busy and we're often frenzied and frenetic. But when you're older, maybe you've reached the years of retirement, you can reflect more on truly what's more important. 
After all, the career has been made by then. The family has been developed and often the kids have long since moved on and you even have grandchildren or great-grandchildren by then. And yet, isn't it true that as you reflect on what's more important, you're certainly aware of your own mortality and you're aware you won't stay on this earth permanently. And so isn't it true you can have in your life a seasoned expectation of a better land beyond this one? Hope. The Bible does describe that often and as easily as it's seen or you would hope in the lively ways of a grandparent. Consider with me Romans 5 verses 3 and following and see if that doesn't correlate to the, to the anticipation of the moment. Those tribulations in life, they naturally lead, of course, to an increase in faith, which leads to being approved, which leads to hope. That's what the Apostle Paul said. And yet, who better than an older person has been able to experience all of that? Surely, in light of all that, you could appreciate Hebrews 6.18 with me. For these who are older indeed can set before their grandchildren and others that beautiful example of those who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before them. It's not to say that we are excited about death, but we know it's coming. And those that are older can present the proper attitude to their grandchildren. May I say, grandparents, don't ever, ever lose sight of how significant you can be in influencing the mental and spiritual well-being of your grandchildren. For they can see in you things they don't as easily see in their parents. And they sure don't often see in things like that in the world. In you, they have the precious opportunity and privilege to appreciate these magnificent truths of the Word of God. Not only those things, consider in Hebrews 11, we have a dual description Verses 10 and later in verse 16, wasn't it true of Abraham? He knew that this world was not his final abode. He searched for a city whose builder and maker was God. Surely we in wisdom would want to present that idea to our grandchildren. We too look for a better country and we ought to say, Son, I want you to go with me to heaven someday. And we want to instill in them the fact that that's the grandest and really the most significant hope of all. As grandparents embed those thoughts, or at least exemplify them, one last thing might be that powerful truth of no separation from Christ. Now, it's something pretty special, I would suppose, when a grandchild sees that infirmed grandparent, maybe not able to move very quickly, perhaps usage of a cane, or maybe even moving rather slowly, but yet grandma's always there at the worship services. Granddad doesn't miss the Bible studies. The attribute of the faithfulness seen in his life will leave a lasting imprint on your legacy. Speaking of legacy, that brings us to number five, and then it's going to be a culmination in number six, contentment. Aren't you excited about the consideration of the Bible's teaching on contentment? In a materialistic age, in a world that seems to want more of the possessions and the money and the things that this age has to offer, it seems that contentment is not as often a matter of contemplation. But yet that's not so of the Word of God, is it? I would invite you to think about verses like these. First of all, as you consider youth with me, 
in the time of youth. We all know there is a great deal of movement and excitement toward the building of a career, the buying of a house, and the development of a family, and all that takes money. We understand that. It's easy, I suppose, to become so focused on that, though, that you can lose sight on the other things. That's a tragedy. But yet, as you and I think about grandparents... As we stated a moment ago, they've passed through those things and hopefully in the wisdom and the seasoning of the years, they are able to understand the true meaning of life is found in Ecclesiastes 12.13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Maybe as those words echo in our hearts and in our thinking today, Job as an older man seemingly knew it well. After the tragedies of Job chapter 1, the losing of his possessions, the losing even of his children, he was able to make this statement, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I leave this world. The Lord hath given, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a remarkable statement of courage, conviction, and faith that a man who's just experienced those losses could nonetheless make that statement. Contentment. The New Testament is filled with references to it. Philippians 4.11 maybe rises to the top of that description. Paul himself in a Roman prison at the time he penned that letter. A prisoner, may I say to you. And yet he could say... Philippians 4 verse 11, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. May I say again as a grandparent, one who appreciates the nature of what life is all about and can exhibit true contentment, sometimes again those of younger years, the parents themselves, don't see that as clearly. But the vision is 2020 for the grandparents. They know very well things like 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 8. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can take nothing out. Grandparents sometimes appreciate that far more keenly than anybody else. Maybe in finality to that slide, they know in many cases it's far better to have righteousness than anything else. A small house is still great as long as you've got righteousness. Maybe not the greatest and the most abundant of monetary accounts. Still fine as long as you've got righteousness. Texts like Psalm 37, 16 tell us that very clearly. Surely in light of all these things, we've said a lot that can be useful, indicative of grandparents, but not only that, of all of us too. This final page. Grandparents, you have an opportunity to also think very interestingly about instruction. Your role as a teacher, your role of instilling nuggets of wisdom that are very important. The Bible develops that very interestingly, and we hinted at it earlier. Timothy, consider again the circumstances in which he found himself. Though a relatively young man, yet when Paul came through that area on the second missionary journey, Timothy had been prepared by the instruction of his mother and grandmother. And he made the decision to go with Paul. To accompany him on that second missionary journey. 
I suppose many of us have often thought about that. Can you imagine leaving the place that was so comfortable to you as a young man? He did it. As interesting as that is, you'll notice the Bible speaks directly about the teaching capability of those that are older. Sometimes that includes women. Now, not in a public way of proclaiming a sermon, if you will, because the text in Titus 2 verse 3 describes about the ladies teaching the younger women. Older ladies, you can teach the younger wives, the younger women of how to be a great mother, how to be a great wife, how to in fact go about your activities and duties and take care of them in a Christian way. God has said you can do that. Not only that, You'll notice the leadership exhibited in the Old Testament again by those that were older. Have you ever thought about how old Noah was when it was time to build the ark? If you ever think about that, I believe you'll be even more impressed with the labor of building this gigantic ship. Because as you notice in Genesis 5.32, we're told how old he was. He was 500 years old when his sons were born at least when their names are listed there, and it's not till the next chapter we find the description of the flood. Noah, you see, was several hundred years old by the time the floodwaters came. Isn't that an impressive statement about the nature of the faithfulness of this older gentleman, this older man? Of all the people on earth, they turned wicked, but not Noah. How old was Moses when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt? Eighty. Think about an 80-year-old man undertaking that kind of activity, and yet Moses did it. It knows just two reflections on to possibly the great work of those that are older, those who have years of seasoned faith and wisdom. It would seem then that one last matter is certainly then the case. We've stated all of these things so far, looking at them from what the Bible has to share with us. Those then that live according to these truths we've stated today are worthy of great honor. They're worthy of great respect. And the Bible, in fact, encourages us along that line. In Leviticus 19.32, the hoary head, that silver-haired gentleman, could be a silver-haired lady as well, I suppose, but the hoary head is worthy of honor. It's in a sad thing if we disrespect our grandparents. We treat them with contempt. We show them little consideration because by virtue of their wisdom and by virtue of their capabilities and the things we've studied today, they're worthy of honor. You'll notice later in Proverbs 16.31 as well as the psalmist, those statements of wisdom and honor directly correspond to those who have chosen to live with faithfulness and wisdom. So may I say if we have grandparents. If your grandparents are faithful people, if they're those who are people of faith and hope, show them the honor that God would wish for you to do it. Display toward them the respect that they're deserving of. Because you'll notice in these last things, they still can bring forth very impressive fruit to God. Didn't the psalmist in fact say it in Psalm 92, 14, Cast me not in the days of old age. They're able still to bring forth significant fruit. As we're thankful for that, mindful of it, 
may I ask to those that are older in the audience today, what's your greatest legacy? What one thing would you wish to bequeath to your grandchildren? The lesson text for the day was taken from Proverbs 13, 22. And we stated then of, that a wise man will leave an inheritance to his children's children. What inheritance would you like to leave? A few thousand dollars? I'm not in any way besmirching how useful that might be. But there's no question about it. By far, the greatest legacy you can leave is a legacy of Christian faithfulness. A legacy of dedication to faith and to hope and to the matters we have discussed together this morning. Make sure then you're able to leave that kind of legacy. Because as you do, you'll notice Proverbs 13, 22 pronounces such a tremendous blessing in regard to those things. As we've looked at grandparents today and their role in the family, it takes us to a page of conclusion, and that brings our lesson to a finality today. Grandparents, their role in the family has been a rather vital one. I suppose in the days of the Old Testament that is even more pronounced. And yet today still, how moving, how compelling, how lasting the legacy of a grandparent can, can really, really be. We've looked at all those matters that I've listed there before you on the slide. May I say that whether grandparent or not, if you're not a faithful Christian today, there would never be a better Sunday than this one to make things right between you and God. If you have never rendered initial obedience to the gospel, why not make it today? Jesus came and died on the cross to make it possible for your sins to be forgiven. You need to contact His blood, availing yourself of the cleansing power of it. You do that as you obey the gospel initially. Believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, confess His name and be baptized. If we could assist you today in that, what a glorious day of celebration for you. And yea, for the angels it would be, Luke 15, 7. May I also say, though, that if you have been a Christian and have known the matters of faith and hope and love, but you have wandered from it, you no longer are the example that you know you need to be and God wishes you to be. Come back to your first love, would you? God invites you. Jesus is waiting for you to come. He won't make you come, but oh, how He encourages and how He invites. Today, we pray to God for your forgiveness. You just need to repent of those things and confess them. And the God of heaven, upon our penitent prayer on your behalf, will be happy to forgive. If we could help you today in either of these ways, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?